Hello, welcome back to Sermon Notes. This is Garland. I've got Michael in studio with us today. Hey, happy to be here. <laughs> and we, um, as we're recording this at least, uh, we've just coming off Easter Sunday. Um, it was kind of a wild ride around here at Fellowship Fayetteville this weekend. Um, super fun celebration. If you're a Sermon Notes listener and you had to stand in the foyer at 9:30, I'm sorry. We are, we are apologizing for yep. that. Um, so it it was a uh, it was just a a really really celebratory weekend, and it cr- it's it kicks off at least according to the historical calendar, uh, a week that mirrors the Lent season. So there's 40 days of Lent leading up to Easter Sunday, and that's the darkening of the Christ candle as we reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus. We fast. And it culminates in, uh, in the traditional calendar, at least, with the sunrise. And so a candle holds nothing to the sun. And so it's like, wow, everything is so dramatically different because we look at it through the sun. And now it creates a companion 40-day experience called Eastertide, which will culminate after Eastertide with Pentecost Sunday. Um, and so uh, this ancient kind of church tradition, um, we're so, somewhat mirroring this year in that we're going to spend uh, the next several weeks what, just looking at accounts of the resurrection. What does it mean? What are the implications of Jesus' resurrection? So we're going to be celebrating, along with uh, Christians all over the world, uh, the 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 sunrise. Like, what does it mean? What's changed now? And to do that, we're going to look at the resurrection accounts in uh, the Gospels and Acts. We're going to kind of do a deep dive in some of these narratives. So, um, yeah, anything you want to add just to kind of get our arms around the series? Yeah, so we're calling it Risen. And just like you were saying about the sun, it's um, once the sun's up, it's risen. Jesus is has risen from the grave. Of course, on Easter Sunday, we say he is risen indeed. And so I think we're going to spend these next six weeks asking the question, what difference does that make? And so uh, one of the things I'm going to share on Sunday in the, in the sermon is we sort of treat the resurrection a little bit like we treat the rest of Easter, which is we get out our Easter baskets, we get out the green fake grass, we get out the plastic eggs that we put jelly beans in. And after Easter Sunday, all that goes back in the closet until next year. And we kind of do that with the resurrection, if we're honest. We, we really celebrate it intensely on Easter Sunday, and then we don't give it a lot of thought. Um, it's kind of a, it's a given in the Christian faith. Yeah, of course, Jesus is alive. We know he's resurrected. That's, that's what the whole deal is. We want to spend some time thinking about what does it mean that he's resurrected? What does it mean that he's alive? And uh, what does the Bible actually tell us about the nature of his resurrection? Uh, we're going to look at the fact that it's physical, that he walks and talks and makes a campfire and eats fish, um, and yet it's also different in some ways, um, that he can appear and disappear, and he doesn't seem to be impeded by locked doors, and sometimes people immediately recognize him, and sometimes they're, they're shielded. They, their eyes are, are prevented from recognizing him, so it's, it's a very unique thing, and we have this, this small, like you said, this 40-day window between Easter morning, Resurrection Sunday, and then the Ascension, and so we're going to spend some time thinking about it. Yeah, that's exciting. And just just even with what you just said, thinking about, um, you know, when we think about Saul, you know, who becomes Paul, like his life is headed a particular direction. He's a committed Jew. And um, to him, the most important thing is the honor of Yahweh. And he's defending that even violently. And when he encounters the resurrection, 
uh, he can't put the Easter Bunny back in the in in the shelf and put it away for the next year. Like everything about his life is immediately different, and he can't. It's like he's it's like he's walking in a new world, and we want to embrace that a little bit. I like I like how you said that. I think we can sometimes go sweet. Okay, now let's get on on with it. And if we really are believing what we affirm and and thinking through it rightly. We're making an absolutely dramatic claim, right? Yeah, right. And so it, it has, beyond the word implication, that's not strong enough for our life. Like we're walking in a new world. Right. And so let's let's experience that a little bit. And I'm glad we're getting to do this. So you're going to kick us off with uh, diving into uh, Luke's account of the resurrection in uh, Luke chapter 24. And so right. set the scene for us, and then we'll kind of work through uh, this, this episode of Sermon Notes. Yeah, so we're actually going to spend three weeks here in Luke 24, which I'm excited about. Um, the first week was last Sunday. So if you were with us or if you listened to the podcast on Easter, Clark taught the first 12 verses of, of Luke chapter 24, which is Luke's account of the resurrection. And I really like Luke's account. Luke's a, he's a brilliant, brilliant writer. Of course, all the gospel writers are, but Luke brings this air of mystery. We don't immediately see the risen Jesus. Um, we see evidence and we have an angelic message, but by the time we've gotten to verse 12, Peter has looked into the empty tomb, seen the linen cloths, and wondered. It's, it's as if chapter, verse 12 ends with, what is happening right now? Then verse 13, the scene shifts. Um, it says, that very day. And so we know later on, on Easter Sunday, the very first Easter Sunday, there's these two disciples. Uh, one of them's name um, is named in the passage, Cleopas. And um, some people think that the other person walking with him is his wife. And there's been a lot of work done on that. And if that's the case, um, there's a really good chance that this is Jesus' aunt and uncle, that um, there's a man named in another place, and uh, it's, a, it's a different spelling, but some people think this is the same man who was married to Mary, the mother of Jesus' sister. And so maybe this is Jesus' aunt and uncle, maybe not. But either way, they're walking and they're discussing what's happened in Jerusalem just the days before. And Jesus appears with them. He, he sort of, uh, he sidles up to them, if you will, on the road to Emmaus. Um, it's a seven-mile walk, and they don't recognize him. And, then, and Luke actually tells us they're prevented from recognizing him. And I think it's intentional. I think the Lord is shielding them from recognizing him because of what he's about to do. And so they're shocked that he doesn't seem to know what's just happened in Jerusalem. They're, they actually stop in their tracks and they say, are you the one person who doesn't know what's happened? And Jesus rebukes them. Um, he says, he calls them foolish and slow to believe all that's been written. And he, it says, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explains to them how all of scripture was pointing to the fact that Messiah um, had to suffer and die before entering into his glory. And when they finally get to their destination, they invite him in. And it's only when he breaks the bread, which recalls these other moments in Luke's gospel. It recalls the feeding of the 5,000 when he gives thanks and breaks the bread. It recalls what we call the Last Supper, the meal in the upper room the night before he was crucified, when he gives thanks and breaks the bread. And when that happens, their eyes are open, they recognize him. And just that quickly, he's gone. Uh, he disappears from their sight. 
And um, I have to imagine they probably wolf down their meal and then they hoof it all the way back to Jerusalem, seven more miles. Can you imagine walking seven miles and then turning around and going back seven miles? I'm in my physical prime, so yes. Well, it's a half marathon in effect. <laughs> I could never make uh, it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we could tell some stories about your attempts to uh, traverse the trail system around here. They go back and they find the disciples and they tell them what's happened. And the disciples say, yes, he's appeared to Simon Peter as well. And so um, it's this really fascinating story. And in a very Lucan way, he tells us enough to really intrigue us, but he doesn't tell us everything. What did Jesus say? What specific passages did he point to? How did he describe himself as the fulfillment of all that? Luke leaves us to ponder that on our own. Yeah, and I do think um, just even like I like how you set that up. And before we do, you know, the typical question that we're about to ask in a minute, which is what what are we leaving out? Um, you know, what doesn't make the sermon? Just just I have to imagine we spent some time talking about this a few weeks ago um, in one of our meetings. Like if you are hearing like these these accounts, these gospels, the New Testament, most most of the Bible was intended at least be experienced. Uh, audibly, you heard these read out loud. You know, we are in the modern world where we read silently on the page. Most of the time, your in, your experience of this account would have been through hearing it. So, just imagine, you know, you're in a house, little house church. Um, you have this this strange King Jesus that the rest of the culture doesn't know anything about. And they're really struggling to understand. And you're in Asia Minor, or you're in Ephesus, or you're in Colossae, or you're even in Antioch or something. And Luke's gospel gets brought in. And you've sat through this thing. And it takes a couple hours to read it. And you've got a campfire, and you've got some bread, and y'all been listening. And you get to chapter 24, the experience of reading this, you know, just I imagine there's there's almost like gasping and then like, especially if you'd never heard it, like they went to the tomb and the women came and they said there was no body. And then Simon ran, they saw the strip. I got to imagine you'd be leaning forward on your chair. Like what is, about, we're so familiar, you know, what's about to happen then when you have this Emmaus story? Um, you don't even know about the events. Of course, the reader knows, you know, you've listened to this whole story. I got to imagine they're almost, almost giggling like, oh my gosh, they don't, they don't know. They don't know what's about to happen. And so, you know, we are because of the familiarity, I guess, with some of these stories. Just, just do some um, sanctified imagination of what it would have been like if you were invited to that house church that night, and they said, "Hey, we got a copy of Luke's uh, scroll. Let's read it and see." And you never heard it. I mean, what a what a wild ride chapter twenty four would have been. Um, and I, as you kind of highlighted that, I was like. It is. It really is uh, suspenseful and interesting and compelling and good storytelling, and it makes you just want to enter into the story. And I've got a lot of, I wish I was a fly on the wall from this chapter, because I do want to know, what did he do? How did he show them? Wow, what's going on here? Now, um, we'll get to some of this, I'm sure, on Sunday. Tell us then, you know, the sermon notes is designed to replicate some of the conversations that we have or some of the things you study that just don't make the 30-minute sermon. So, you know, help us kind of, what are the things that might come up in a small group or things that people might notice or just things you thought interesting? Yeah, so one thing that I'd love to spend time talking about on Sunday, but we won't have time, and I know some of you who listen to sermon notes will be in Ted Leonard's um, resurrection class, and he'll he'll talk about this extensively, but if you were making this story up from whole cloth, if this was fiction, if you're a first century fiction writer and you want to tell, maybe um, maybe you've heard about this this itinerant preacher, Jesus, who died a gruesome death, and you think, man, a little fan fiction. I'm going to make up a resurrection account. This is not the way you would tell right. it. 
Um, and Luke says, when the women go and tell the disciples that the tomb is empty and that these angels have told them a message, um, one translation says, it seemed to them as nonsense. I think the ESV says it was an idle tale. Um, we don't like to say this in 2023, but the fact is in the first century, women were not credible witnesses. And um, it's wrong. It never should have been that way. But the fact is, if you're making this up, you don't make your first witnesses women. Um, because you're undermining the credibility of your own story. Then next, would you make up a story in which two people who may have even been related to him don't recognize him? Like it, it, it just, one of the ways that I, you know, I used to say this with my kids when they were growing up, one of the ways I know the Bible is true. Well, one of the <laughs> things that points me to believe the Bible is true is that you wouldn't make it up this way um, if you were fabricating it. I think it's, it's written this way because this is exactly what actually happened. Yep. And um, so as they're walking and talking, um, they don't, uh, and this happens in the Gospels often as well, they don't come off looking very good. And so, um, you know, unless it's really what happened, why would they come back and tell the disciples? Why would they tell Luke later when he's writing all this down or, or maybe he got this from someone else and it was passed down as an oral tradition that Jesus said to them, Oh, you foolish ones and <laughs> yeah. slow to believe. Like, yeah. I don't, if Jesus said that to me, I wouldn't be in a hurry to tell you that. Mm -hmm. um, and yet there it is on the page. And so um, I just think that lends a lot of credibility to it. And then the things they believe aren't wrong. Verse 19, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. Um, and we had hoped, verse 21, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. He was a prophet, powerful in word indeed, and he, he is the one to redeem Israel. They're not wrong. Their belief is not wrong. It's just insufficient. They don't believe enough. They don't, they, they don't go far enough. And so um, this is, again, something we won't go into on Sunday. But, uh, man, how many people do all of us know who say, man, Jesus was a great teacher. You can't argue with his teachings. Uh, yeah, he definitely impacted history. Um, and those are true, and those are right, and, and there's plenty of people out there who would say, boy, he's, he's one of a lot of good choices. You know what? As long as you believe what you believe sincerely, um, then good for you. Good on you. Um, that doesn't go far enough, and that, that was their problem. Um, they didn't recognize he's the Messiah. He's the Daniel 9, or the, sorry, Daniel 7, son of man. Um, yeah, Daniel 9 predicted um, his triumphal entry. But they, they are not recognizing him as God made flesh. Mm -hmm. And people still today mm -hmm. fall short. And a failure to go far enough leaves us as a foolish one, slow to believe all that's showed to us in the Scripture. Yeah, we used to have a, a, a professor that I had um, named Daryl Bach. He used to say it this way. Um, if you were getting the, if you were interviewing PR firms, you know, you're the disciples and your leader's dead and you're sad and you really want to honor him. So you're going to go hire a PR firm and you're going to interview several and you got all the best ones in there. Uh, and one came in and said, Oh, I got a great idea. Let's say that he came back to life. And, oh, and then we're going to say that. It was the women who were there. And then we're going to make you all look like idiots. And we're going to do it publicly forever. Like, you're, you're not hiring that group, right? It just, it demands explanation. And it doesn't prove the resurrection. But it's, don't, don't forget the best part. That PR firm is going to tell you, and 
as a bonus, all of yeah. you will die you horrible deaths. You probably won't make it long after this because right. everybody's going to think you're crazy. Because, by the way, everybody knows people don't come back from life from the dead like this. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, I think you're totally right in pointing that out. And when you look at what they're expecting, Mighty Prophet, the Jews have a category for that. Um, a redeemer of Israel, one who would finally liberate them from their enemies. They have categories for that. They've seen that. Um, they're expecting that. That fits on a shelf space for them. Um, however, that that redemption would take place in this way, that the prophet, powerful in word and deed, would face death for his people, that the stuff that Jesus said and did, which was so strange to them and, if we're honest, to the modern world, hanging out with the enemy and um, welcoming the broken and touching the unclean and all this stuff, um, they have categories for all these other things. They don't have categories for crucified prophets and crucified messiahs, unless, of course, the resurrection is true. And that changes the game completely. Um, everything is now different. Like we said at the beginning, Paul can't go back. It's, it's a new world. He cannot go back. And we have to do our hard work to get through some of the familiarity of Easter to remind ourselves, And then hopefully when we look back at, at our own experience, we can go, man, that's, that's a lot of credibility. There's a lot here that I can walk down the streets of Fayetteville, Arkansas in 2023 in the American Western culture and say, I really think a dead guy came back to life and he's the true king of the universe. What's it to you? Like he really wants you and he wants to love you and show you life. And that's, that's dramatic. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, like just... We, we, we talk about it a lot. We celebrate it at Easter, but think about it. Like, go right. into the story and um, see what happens. Yeah, and, and to point to a line from our text, I totally agree with what you're saying, and that is the goal for this six-week series. But to, to quote from the text, they, once they realize who they've been talking to, they say, didn't our hearts burn within us as he taught the Scriptures? And so sometimes when I say my prayer, I feel like I'm using churchy language, but literally my prayer for you, sermon listener, and for everyone who comes and worships with us on Sunday, for everyone who listens to the podcast of the service, is that our hearts would burn within us. And um, not to be overly dramatic, but my heart was burning within me as you were saying that just now. Like, let's really consider the resurrection. Let's look at the promises of Scripture. Let's consider God's faithfulness. Let's think about what this means, not just theologically, not just in our headspace, but in our heart. Let's connect with it emotionally. And I am praying that our hearts will burn within us, not just for this service, but for this six weeks, as we just recognize exactly what you're describing, Garland, that because Jesus is risen, it's, it's not just that it happened. It is an ongoing reality that he is alive and at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. Man, that changes everything. Um, you know, we could spend a lot more time on sermon notes today, but I can't think of anything I'd rather do than end it right there. So uh, if you got questions about what's going on or some other things, uh, you can just email Michael directly because that's a fantastic place to end it. So um, that's our prayer for this week. That's our hope for this week. And we uh, hope to see you on Sunday. And thanks for listening, as always, to Sermon Notes. <laughs>